0: the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be good in your heart, O God, my strength and my Redeemer. Please take your seats. Sometimes scripture makes us think about disturbing things. Throughout this sermon, I am going to ask you to move your body a bit. You are free not to, but I'm asking you to do this to help us stay present while we go into this parable. Honestly, if the kingdom of heaven is like how Jesus describes it in this parable, I think I've had enough of it already here on earth. Thank you very much. I know what it feels like to be in outer darkness, unable to move. I have wept. I have gnashed my teeth. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning of this parable, when all the people that the king is hoping will accept his invitations say no. I know what it's like for no one to want to eat lunch with me on the schoolyard, despite my invitations. It's rough if you've ever felt like everyone is rejecting your invitation and you don't want to ever feel that way again, and you don't want anyone to ever feel that way again, I invite you, as you feel moved, to shake your heads no with me. No. Nope. Nope. I don't know what it's like to be enslaved or to be an enslaver, but some of my ancestors knew what it was like to enslave people. My great aunt Babe was often quoted saying that after some privateering in Rhode Island, our ancestors went south to quote, become gentlemen. Taking away another person's liberty is about the least gentle thing that anyone can do. Even if the institution of slavery is not a part of your family's history, it is a part of the history of the diocese of New York and Long Island. With a church job in our church, a church salary would often come with both land and enslaved people. It was expected that the priests would spiritually support the system of settler colonialism and enslavement, preaching sermons that gave spiritual backing to race-based slavery and the taking of land and lives of indigenous people. Priests in parishes in this diocese and the Diocese of Long Island enslaved people until slavery was outlawed in New York State in 1827. But the wealth and the structures that enslaved people made still stand. They cleared and widened indigenous trails in Manhattan to make them roads that we still use today, like Broadway. New York-based companies originally built with slave labor, like Aetna, New York Life, and J.P. Morgan's Chase, still thrive today. When I learn about how deeply the history of institutions that I am a part of, and that I love, like the church, are connected with race-based slavery, I don't know what to do with it at first. I feel many things, so I wrestle with it, letting one feeling come up and then another. I invite you to use your arms and wrestle with me. I'm gonna go one, two, three. <sighs> one may assume that the king in the parable overtaxes people, at the very least. Nobody wants to come to his party. The landowners and businessmen have no respect for the king. They either ignore him or they murder the people that he enslaves. The king then takes his revenge on the city of those landowners and businessmen by burning it all to the ground. Collective punishment like this, that is inflicting harm on an entire population for the actions of a few of them, is illegal in today's international law. The Fourth Geneva Convention, to be precise. In the colonization of this country, many settlers destroyed the homes and ways of life of indigenous people. In the War of the Pequots, fought just north of here in 1636, the English Puritans tried to avoid fighting their unseasoned soldiers with Pequot warriors, and instead set fire to entire villages, burning hundreds of families to death and leaving the survivors homeless. In the 19th century, white Americans tried to avoid fighting with the warriors of Ochedi the name for the confederation of the Lakota, Nakota, and Dakota peoples, by killing the buffalo almost to extinction. For centuries, the Ocheri had cared for the buffalo, doing prescribed burns of the prairies in the fall to make more tall grass prairies for them to graze. The buffalo provided food and shelter. The Ocheri understand the buffalo as relatives, as creatures with whom their relationships to each other are already built in. Settler colonists did not understand that this intimate relationship with each other and creation is what we are all made for. Instead, in order to commit these mass killings, they dehumanized indigenous people first, killing them in their imaginations. Killing someone in the imagination often looks like calling them savages, animals, or brutes. If they aren't people, then how can their deaths be mourned, goes the genocidal logic. In mainstream education here in the U.S., we aren't taught the stories of the waves of genocide against the indigenous peoples of the Americas. Silencing stories, not passing them on, is another way to kill people. In our parable, no one tells the stories of all the people burned in the king 's destruction of the city taking this in makes me feel at loose ends it makes me feel rage, it makes me feel helpless, rage again, and then at the core of it it 's deep grief. I invite you if you feel so moved to stomp your feet with me in all those feelings. Emotions dwell in our bodies. I know this is obvious, but in a society that privileges intellect and reason, sometimes we need a reminder. Speaking for myself, I often need a reminder. I get a reminder of what kind of a being I am in many ways. When I went to Afro-Caribbean dance class after my mother's death, I was often surprised by the tears that sprang up when I first really started moving. It was finally safe for me to express my emotions, and so when I knocked on my heart, so to speak, through stretching, moving my feet to the drums, there the tears are. There are times when the beauty of the light coming in, especially the autumnal light that we're getting in these late afternoons, when it comes in and paints my walls and sometimes the walls of this very sanctuary with shades of coral and shades of gold. When this happens, I almost have to laugh at myself. I'm so happy to be here on earth, an earthling that can see color the ways that my eyes do, I am an emotional being in a body, in a body that was built with relationship, always already a part of it. I am also reminded of what kind of a being I am whenever I take the Eucharist. When I feel the communion wafer melting on my tongue and the blossoming of the sip of wine from my lips to my belly, I take in, in my body, that I am okay. Let me break this down. In communion, I am reminded that God became human. God lived in a human body like mine, like yours, like the human body of someone we've never met. God lived in a human body with all its quirks and pains and joys. A human body like mine with a clicky knee, oh, there it goes, <laughs> and a lactose intolerance was good enough for the creator of the universe. Jesus, the person said, This is my body. And Christ, the anointed one, who exists beyond time and space, reaches out to us to continue to nourish us. And be with us in the Eucharist. Christ is present in communion and in community. Because at our core, as Christians, the smallest possible unit of analysis for us is relationship. As Christians who confess a triune God, It is impossible to speak of the unity of God without implying the three-in-oneness of the Trinity, each person different, each one not complete without the other. My favorite theorist and feminist scholar Donna Haraway writes in her book The Companion Species Manifesto that beings do not pre-exist their relatings, Beings do not pre-exist their relatings. She encourages us to look at relationship as the smallest possible unit of analysis. For how else do we ever understand ourselves? Well, in this parable, the individual is the smallest possible unit of analysis. The sinfulness in the parable is the assumption that we are all not related, that each one of our bodies is not built for relationship with God and with one another. But when we choose to show up for one another, to use our feet, either metaphorically or physically, to be with our kinfolk in their grief and in their joy, we're also reminding ourselves of who we are. Let's practice this in place by taking a few steps if you are so moved. Thank you. Sometimes we need to do more than just use our feet. Sometimes we need to reach out, either metaphorically or physically, to let someone know beyond a doubt that we care. Let's reach our arms out. I'm going to give myself a hug because I want to. Go ahead, if you are so moved, give yourself a hug too. And sometimes another person just needs to be heard. Sometimes we just need to take the time to actually slow down and listen without interruption just to give another person an uninterrupted experience. Let's practice and nod our heads in affirmation to say, oh yeah, that's what I'm hearing. I hear you, Mm mm-hmm, yeah. Paul writes to his brothers and sisters at Philippi this beautiful prayer. Let your gentleness be known to everyone But in order to be gentle with the world, we first need to be gentle with ourselves. We need to let our emotions travel through our bodies. We need to stomp when we're angry and salt the earth with our tears when we grieve. This week has been really hard for me. I know it's been really hard for many people in this congregation, in this city, in this world. I had a rough time in school, and by the time high school was finishing up, I felt awkward expressing myself through my speech, like I'd either be too quiet or too loud. And I wasn't really in my body. Through some volunteer work, I met a dance troupe of Palestinian teens from a refugee camp outside of Bethlehem, Dehesha. I accepted their invitation to come and stay, and I became an honorary member of the Hamash family, spending almost all my vacations with them in college. I learned colloquial Arabic with them and found my voice in it again. I found that in Arabic I could speak from my core, from my gut, and from my heart. With practice, And with help from acting teachers, I was able to do that in English again eventually too. Although I haven't been able to return for a while, my honorary family and everyone I know there remains in my heart. I have often joked that the poetry gospel of Mary Oliver is the fifth gospel of the Episcopal Church, because of how much she gets quoted from the pulpit. I have never yet quoted from our beloved poet, but this week, her words have been accompanying me. When I let myself breathe deep and know that I was built for a relationship from the beginning, I keep hearing this phrase of hers, the soft animal of your body. Here's its context. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Amen.